Welcome to the Stop and to Think podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Today, I have with me on the podcast, Barnabas Piper, and Barnabas is an author. He's an assistant pastor at Emanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's one-third of the Happy Ramp podcast. So Barnabas Piper, thank you for joining me on Stop and to Think today. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be on. It's an honor. So I asked you to come on and talk about uh, a little bit about the Happy Ramp book and more broadly about the role of humor in the Christian life. Uh, I had Ted Cluck on a couple of weeks ago, and so I actually want to start with a question he asked me and I didn't have a good answer for, and I thought maybe you'd have a better answer for it. Uh, (laughs) Why why is it so hard for reform guys to laugh? So he asked you that question. Yeah, he kind of took over the hosting role when I had him on because that's what he does. Because that's what he does, yeah. Well, also, Ted doesn't like answering questions, so if he can, uh, if he can distribute the questions, he's he's in control. That works better, which is why he's so good at hosting our show. Uh, why is it so hard for reformed guys to laugh? Um, I I think I think there's a, you know, you know those guys who are gym rats, mm-hmm. and they uh, but they only work on vanity muscles, so huge biceps you know, huge lats, huge necks, and then like chicken legs. That's kind of how a lot of reform guys are with theology. They are way overdeveloped theologically and way underdeveloped uh, socially. And as well as just keeping it more biblical, a broader sense of how does the joy of the Lord play in all of life? Not to mention, how do we look at this absurd world uh, in a way that's not sort of constantly low-grade depressed and so I, I think it's that there's an overdevelopment of theology which you know is not rife with humor you know if you're if you're heavy into systematics or heavy into exegesis there's not a ton of jokes built in but that doesn't lend itself to lighthearted conversation it doesn't lend itself to kind of observing the absurdity around us which the world is just chock full of including the reformed world and so forth. So that's, that's my, if I was going to give sort of an analytical uh, answer to your question, it would be that. That's a, I, I like that answer. It's a good analogy with the guys with the chicken legs. Um, I am not a gym rat. I haven't hardly touched a gym since I was in high school, but I do remember vividly seeing guys in there who had like biceps of Greek gods and legs that looked like my teenage legs. <clears throat> but yeah, just I think wonder, of those guys as, system, as the systematic theologians, and it all comes together. <laughs> so as someone who is given to, uh, I, I am that guy who has to like walk myself through a theological argument and write a white paper on why it's okay for me to, to have fun and to laugh. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about, about your podcast is it gives me a chance to laugh at myself, uh, to just hear you guys riffing on all of the absurdity that there is uh, within conservative evangelicalism at large and and our world who are authors that have helped you notice the absurd to that have helped you develop your sense of humor for lack of a better way of putting it yeah and 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 the thing about a sense of humor is that it doesn't mean being funny it means appreciating funny so like just for for whoever's listening 
you, there is no pressure on you to be the funniest guy in the room. And most people who try to be that um, fall flat on their faces, which is funny in its own right, but not the kind you were not the for. kind you want to be. Right. The sense of humor is really like it's it's like having a sense of smell or a sense of sight. You 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 are tuned into, oh, this is a humorous thing that's going on here, whether it's, you know, a joke or the way somebody's telling a story or a turn of phrase or, you know, somebody tripping and falling or whatever. So authors that have helped me develop that are. There's kind of two categories and they're kind of extreme opposite ends of the spectrum. Hmm. On the one end, which you would expect are stand-up comedians, because the best observational stand-up comics, um, I think about guys, guys who are doing it currently who are really good. Um, Jim Gaffigan is really good, uh, although his stuff, he's basically just one big joke about food at this point. Um, Chris Rock is somebody who made me laugh a ton growing up because he could just sort of his, his cultural observations, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, there's a, he's written entire books on how, how, uh, how he put jokes together and his observations about the absurdity of stuff. So that's one end of the spectrum is just observational comics. The other end of the spectrum are guys like C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, because they, they are funny in their own way, Chesterton more so than Lewis. Um, but they're, they're profoundly deep thinkers who also, A, love to have a drink, love good food, love good company, and B, don't have any problem just calling something silly. Like, well, that's, that's a ridiculous idea, which is not a thing that most sort of high-minded reformed people do. They don't, we, don't, we don't just sort of scoff and be like, ah, that's absurd. There, it's, it's a lot more let me give you a seven point excursus on why that is a fallacious idea. And you're like, goodness, you just use so many syllables in that sentence. I no longer want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it strikes me that the, probably the thing that is funniest about a, a good stand-up comedian is when you see yourself in their observations and you just totally identify with that thing that they're, they're just pointing out the absurdity of yeah or or they make an observation that you've also made but they mm. make it better than you did and there's sort of that right. sense of like oh that was my joke except you're way better at it than i am <laughs> that that kind of thing which is uh because laughing with people is always more enjoyable than than laughing at people or laughing by yourself and so when they make an observation you know so um you know jim gaffigan has this whole bit about camping and for all the people who are sort of indoorsy, which is a phrase he uses to describe himself, you're laughing with him at this, at how absurd it is to enjoy sleeping where all the bugs and the wildlife is, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, and so, yeah, it's the, it's the kind of the same thing we try to do on the happier net, which is we're laughing at a group that we're part of, right. you know? So, you know, we're not, we're not poking fun at, you know, the United Methodists. I don't know much about them. We know a lot about the reformed world because we're part of it. And so there's a lot of jokes kind of at our own tribe's expense, which means that our listeners can kind of join us in laughing at a thing that they're also part of for the most part. And it, and it becomes a, there's a bit of a communal aspect to it. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been struck by Chesterton because he is absolutely hilarious and such a profound thinker. And at the same time manages to read the gospels and miss Jesus's humor. 
Yeah, I think it's at the end of Orthodoxy where he he talks about, you know, the Lord revealed many things about himself in his incarnation, but I wonder if the one thing he kept hidden was his mirth. Uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something to that effect. And uh, in in the Happy Rant book, you guys have a chapter on can Christians be funny? Uh, yeah. And and you talk about just the fact that Jesus held 12 guys together for three years. <laughs> and there had to have been some humor there. If you're taking these like totally disparate people, you know, these religious zealots, political zealots, tax collectors, you know, people that were not, they were not going to hang out otherwise. Like right. how did he bind them together apart from the obvious profundity of his teaching? Uh, never spoke a man like this before, but what, what are things in the gospels that you find funny? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, there's not a lot in, because I mean, not to get, not to get too deep into how the gospels uh, were written, but I mean, they're not exhaustive biographies of Jesus. They are kind of mission oriented biographies of Jesus. Like how Jesus went about accomplishing his mission to, to, to be a super flyover summary, which means that they, you know, you don't get a lot of small talk in there. There's not a lot of accounts of, you know, after Jesus hiked 12 miles from one city to another, you know, sort of sitting down on the side of the road and chopping it up with his buddies. Like you don't get those stories. So, but what you get is, is what I, is what I tried to mention. There was, okay, you don't see any of that, but what you do see is 12 guys who would not naturally like each other, several of whom we know are definitively unlikable people. Peter was a bombastic jack wagon uh judas was a thief uh there was tax collectors involved but there was somebody called the zealot he's the guy who won't shut up about politics these are not fun people to be around except that jesus showed them how to enjoy being around each other or to love each other and to love him and so there had to be a context for lightheartedness it just had to be 12 men especially young men will not hang out together for three years unless one of two things is happening. There's an absolute like frothing at the mouth zealousness for something, which we don't see because they all ran away (laughs) when, when given the opportunity to be zealous or there's camaraderie. I think those, those are the only two things I can think of. So, and camaraderie has humor built in. So what I, I see more the opportunity for humor in the humanity of Jesus and the the way that people responded to him children children love jesus you know who children love people who make them smile Mm. people who 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 are yes there's a sense of safety that's a that's a huge part of it but also people who make them laugh you know there's a reason why every little kid if you make them laugh comes back and they're like do it again that was amazing i you just i i'm picturing jesus and like a a three-year-old throwing them up in the air or doing those things that, that are fun, you know, the fun side of Jesus. He, not only did he have these 12 guys, he, he had a significant following of women who trusted him, who felt uh, dignified and whole around him. And, you know, humor is not baked into that, but there is a sense of, there has to be a sense of levity, of joy, of, you know, it can't all be somber theology all the time, or people are going to be like, yeah, I heard that guy speak once. He's real smart. And then that's about, that's about the nicest thing they have to say about him. Just like I say about a lot of conference speakers, real (laughs) smart guy, not a good hang. 
these people love Jesus. So there had to be something humane, uh, levity, laughter, joy, happiness, these, these things that you're like, yeah, I, I would like to spend all day, every day with this guy. That's that, that almost has to include humor or it, or it can't exist. And I wonder, this is just a, I mean, to some level, I've said this for a long time, but I've kind of been developing it as it's, as it's related to this. Uh, I wonder how much of that is like our inability to connect with the humanity of Jesus is in some sense tied to how flat we read the Bible. You know, I, I was, I used to teach youth group and the, the thing I would always tell kids is read, read it like you mean it, you know, read it like it's true. And I'd always, I, like I used to sit in a Bible study with a guy who's like, well, the problem today is people read the Bible like it's a novel. And I just feel like, dude, I wish people would read the Bible. Like it was a novel, like where you inhabit the characters and, and you see that like, this is something that, that happened and, and you're not just supposed to, uh, Leland Riken just had an article on Crossway talking about, uh, he quoted somebody else who, who negatively said <laughs> the parables are not just meant to be a package for an idea. And Riken kind of broadens that out to all of the, the literary parts of the Bible, especially the narratives and, and is saying, you know, we approach the text as if it's just trying to package an idea that we're some abstract idea that we're supposed to take in and add to our collection of abstract ideas to stuff into our systematic theology. But that's not how literature works. That, that's not how narratives work. You're inhabiting the human experience. And are there ideas and are there lessons implicit that we're supposed to draw from the text? Absolutely. But you know, I'm teaching through on Sunday mornings, the Samuel narratives right now. And you're just struck as you read through first and second Samuel, how absolutely human all of these characters are. And, mm -hmm. and if you pause for 32 seconds and think, I wonder how Bathsheba felt in all this narrative, two chapters where she speaks one time, you know, I wonder how Uriah felt as he lay on the steps of, of the, of the castle, not the castle. That's anachronistic, but <clears throat> of, of David's house. And, and you, you spend time with the narrative and you, you think about how did these people actually feel? And as you start to do that, you start to notice the things that are ironic, the things that are humorous, that even if it's not spelled out in black and white for you, and this is when this person told a joke, or this is when this person thought that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of funny. You could see how people would get there. And so that's not very like, that's not fleshed out. That's all really, I'm just kind of vomiting verbally here, but I wonder how, if you've got any thoughts on any of that. Yeah, I think, I think one of the most remarkable things about the Bible is that it is, it's, it's almost never correct to say the Bible is not this, it's this, unless it's, unless you're saying the Bible is not untrue, it's true, because the Bible is, <laughs> the Bible is multifaceted, doesn't even become, doesn't, doesn't come close to covering it in terms of when you're talking about multiple genres, when you're talking about all the things that are communicated through it, the ways that God communicates through it. So yeah, there are definitely, when you read the, the narrative portions of scripture, so thinking, and you talk about teaching through the Samuel narratives, or Kings, or Chronicles, or, um, or the Gospels, which are not exactly the same, they're a little bit more mm -hmm. biographical, if you will, but, they're, but again, they're, they're narratival. When you read those, you, you want to read them like stories with characters yeah 
you know, there's also a lot more going on there than just stories with characters. So, you know, the guy who said the problem is that people read the Bible like a novel. If he is saying people read it like it's just a story, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, or and so they, for for example, I, my, my wife uh, has told me, you know, my wife loves reading fiction. She's an avid reader. And she says, I have a hard time reading the Bible because I don't connect to it like a novel. Not interesting. I mean, it, it just it it takes much more work <clears throat> to just sort of slide into the story for her because hmm. of and so like she doesn't read it like a novel naturally. And so that guy's criticism is completely uh, unapplicable. Why? Because the Bible's a lot of different things. Um there 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 is a there's a there's a real benefit to recognizing the utter humanity of the characters in the Bible, Jesus included. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, once you do that, you do kind of put yourself in their shoes, hopefully in helpful ways. Now we don't want to, you don't want to overemphasize the wrong things, but, uh, you know, we just, we finished a couple months ago, um, preaching through Mark at our church. And I, I preached a couple of sermons kind of leading up to the crucifixion of Christ Mark uses all sorts of irony in those things, which, you know, you talk about humor in the gospels. It's not, it's, it's literary irony, not like joking. It's not like irony. funny haha. But there are some places I think it's appropriate to kind of roll your eyes and laugh at the Pharisees or the council or whatever they're called in that, in that, in that instance, uh, that what, what Mark calls the Jews, basically the people who are putting him on trial, because there's these there's these accusations that they make that they're actually embodying just sort of the hypocrisy of it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that Jesus is killed for is exactly what he is. And you, it, there's a sense of kind of like, you're looking on from the outside, like a drama and yeah. you can see the whole scope of things and they can't. Mm-hmm. So they, so they're playing right into the hands of the plot line. And, and there is, we have to be able to read it like that which also then lends itself to, yeah, if there's, if there's an absurd aspect or an empathetic aspect, I mean, you mentioned Bathsheba, the, the victim of sexual assault, like that's, we shouldn't just read that as like, this was adultery. You should look at that and go, this was, was this person there, was, there was wrong. murder involved here. There was sexual yeah. assault involved here. This was an abuse of power. This was like layers upon layers. All of a sudden that story gets profoundly more complex because you have a man after god's own heart description of david committing these acts and we don't need to sort all that out but simply to say by peeling back the layers of the character of the story it actually brings it to life instead of just this happened then this happened then this happened and yeah and then and, and out of that comes the call it the emotions of the bible and again, reform people very uncomfortable with emotions because they're very hard to systematize. They're fuzzy and they're not always reliable. <laughs> also, they're from God and they, they uh, enliven truth. Mm-hmm. Truth without emotion is, it's, it's a commentary. It's boring. So, it, it, you know, the, 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 humanity and life and emotion of scriptural stories really matter. Yeah. I, I think especially for people, I, I, it's true for everybody, especially if we're reading the Bible and we want to, to, to connect with those things. I think it's really true for people who are teaching the Bible. You've got to get that 
otherwise you're not going to communicate effectively. I, I remember listening to Crawford Loritz one time, and I think it might've been in a desiring God conference where he said, you know, we, we need to understand the text in its context, but we also need to communicate it in its emotional context because that that's part of how you connect the, the timeless truth of God's word with my life right now is understanding that, that everything that I'm going through, I was, I was reading Hebrews four last night and, you know, J Jesus is able to sympathize with our every weakness. Well, I mean, I, you know, as a pastor, you spend a lot of time with people who are feeling pretty weak and, <laughs> and to be able to sit with them and say, you realize like when you read through the gospel narratives and Jesus is being accused and Jesus is being flogged and Jesus is spending all night up praying the the immortal son of God is praying for strength, gets an angel to comfort him and he's still sweating drops of blood. Like he understands every weakness you go through. And now we have drifted very far afield from humor. But, uh, but, but there's, there's, it, we're not as far as you would think because humor is an expression of, or laughter is an expression of an emotion, yeah. a, a heartfelt thing that is treated as sub, sub valuable to, um, sorrow or passion like mm. how are you going to tell how are you going to stand up and be like be passionate and and not equally say express joy express happiness the one emotion is not more godly than another mm. i mean i haven't thought through this deeply but i just can't see how that would be the case now some emotions like anger are more likely to be sinful than others i think they you know they, they come out more easily but to, so just talking about this conceptually, it's not, a, it's not a huge leap from um, sympathy and passion and deep emotion to humor or laughter. That, I mean, I wrote a whole book called Hoping for Happiness because I got so tired of the conservative Christian suspicion about enjoying stuff mm. and enjoying experiences. And I got tired about you know, the, the sort of worldly, like, I always have to one up my experiences. So there, I was like, there has to be a third way that's actually biblical, because these people are suspicious of all of God's good gifts. And these people are idolizing all of them. So right. what is an actual third way? And so yeah, I, I don't think that what you're saying is actually a huge leap from what, what is the place of humor in our life? What is the place of laughter and of, of, uh, you know, is it, is it more godly to cry with somebody than to fall out of your chair laughing with someone? No, the answer is no. It's God works in pain in, in particular ways, but God also binds people together in laughter in particular mm. ways. Like that's, that's how I've made most of my meaningful friends in my life is it, it started with, we started laughing about the same things and then it turned into a friendship of great substance. It's like, it's like the way into things. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that it's uh, I don't think that, that it sits in a separate category and like, Oh, that's a different conversation. No, I think, I think it all goes together. Yeah. I, I don't, we don't have time to dive into this, but I, I wonder how much of that goes back to the pretty widespread notion that there's a difference between joy and happiness which Randy Alcorn was really <laughs> yeah. helpful to me and just like 
no, that's actually not present in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And that was just like an assumption I was raised with in church was like that happiness is the surface feeling that's just determined by your circumstances, but joy is this thing from God. But then the people that are saying that are often people who it's an excuse to cover up their crappy attitude all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I have joy from yeah, the Lord, I, but I'm never happy. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring up Randy Alcorn because in, in, in the book that I just referenced, Hoping for Happiness, I, I addressed that question and, uh, and he was, he wrote the foreword for the book. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of, and again, even in that kind of reiterated his own experience of, of, uh, going from guilt ridden about enjoyment and mm -hmm. thinking of happiness as trite to realizing like, oh, this, this is of the Lord. Yeah, I, I think that that distinction between joy and happiness has done significant harm to the ability of, let's just call them, let's just say conservative Christians, because I don't think it's particularly a reformed thing. I think that's also mm -hmm. true in the kind of the fundamentalist world. Oh, for sure. Um, it, it has done harm to our ability to live life expansively in the way that God has designed. And I don't mean um, hedonistically, I just mean to, to throw ourselves into it with vigor. We hold back a ton. Ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can really, I don't know if I can really enjoy this when in reality, I mean, the, if I gave my kids a Christmas present and they were like, dad, I can't accept this. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be able to use this, this new bike or this new car or this new whatever, uh, because it's just, mm, I don't know. So they just sort of like, I have, have too much it. fun. Yeah. I don't know. That might be too much fun. It might cost too much. No child thinks that way. And I would be offended if they did. I'd be like, no, for the love of God, like use this thing. Mm -hmm. That I think is kind of how God looks at us when he's like, but, but food is awesome. Really enjoy it. Don't feel bad about really nice meals or, or staying up late laughing with friends or going on a vacation and so forth. That doesn't mean live for self-centeredness, but it does mean when the opportunities present themselves, have a good time with gratitude. That's actually honoring to the Lord. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the joy happiness distinction misleads people away from, I think, God's design for, for our enjoyment, which includes laughter. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking of a verse, and I don't remember exactly where it is. Um, I'm not going to waste time looking for it right now, but uh, a, a, to, to the effect that he gives gives us good gifts for our enjoyment. Um, I want to say I mean, it's in First Timothy. Is, Ecclesiastes is full of that too. You know, uh, eat your bread and drink your wine, and uh, God has already approved life. of what you do. And and yeah, and it, it, this is he basically says this is of God. This is God's portion for you, and God is pleased with it. And so it's like that. People think of Ecclesiastes as a book about meaninglessness, which is false. Uh, it's it's also, I mean, it, it's a book about what is significant during this life under the sun and mm -hmm. what is eternally significant and kind of the balance of the two. Yeah, maybe you could go for just a couple of minutes on, uh, on Ecclesiastes and having a right expectations of life under the sun as as part of the key to enjoying life under the sun. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think so. So I think um, tying it together with what with what we were just talking about in terms of laughter and, and emotion and all these different things. Um, Ecclesiastes is one of the most helpful books in the Bible for just cutting through a lot of the fog there, because it basically lays out and it says, look, if you devote your life to 
uh, fame or wealth or justice or wisdom or work or sex or anything, it is vanity. It passes away, just poof. That, that is not the thing that fulfills you. Also, every good thing in life comes from the Lord. It is from the Lord. He's in it. He smiles upon it. He gives it to you. It's a gift. Take joy in it. Both of these things are true simultaneously. This is life under the sun. There's everything passes away. There are good gifts in their time and place. So enjoy them while you have them. And then it ends, Ecclesiastes ends with, uh, in chapter 12, fear God and keep his commands for this is the whole duty of man. Well, that can only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's essentially a nod toward fulfillment in Christ. Fear God and keep his commands. How do we do that? Well, not of our own strength. That's, that's in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's fulfilled in Christ. He's the only one who ever obeyed that command fully. So, so, so I mean, it's, it's this fully wraparound book of taking the pressure off of us to find fulfillment and stuff that's not working giving us freedom to enjoy the good gifts God has given us and pointing us towards Christ as the fulfillment of both, both of our, our duty as well as our hope. And, you know, I, 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 I weave Ecclesiastes into hoping for happiness. I wrote a small group study on it. Not, and I don't say this just to promote those things, but because like, it's, it's a book that I simply cannot stop going back to because it makes sense out of life a life that is, you know, this is a, this is a frustrating, confusing world, uh, which is part of the reason we need laughter. Um, there, I, I think it was Flannery O'Connor said something like, we can either laugh or die in this damnable world. And I, it's just one of those things, it, it, which sounds like Ecclesiastes. It's like, yeah, everything in this world kind of sucks. So at some point, you just got to laugh and move on, mm-hmm. laugh and live, because this is, this is what God's given us to do for now. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really helpful. Random question before we wrap up. Why should everybody read Frederick Backman? <laughs> um, well, you asked at the very beginning who are authors who have helped develop my sense of humor. I think I came to, to, to Backman or Bachman um, after kind of having a, a, a fairly well-developed sense of humor. And he is brilliant you know, we were, and we just kind of talked about the full range of human emotion, ranging from, from sorrow and sympathy and empathy and, and laughter and all these different things. Uh, Bachman gets it all in there. He, he is one of the, he's one of those authors who can, he writes a novel. They're all character oriented. They're not sort of um, plot device driven. And, and because they're, they're, they're so much about the people in a single page or in a single chapter, you can, you can be angry and heartbroken and, and then crack up laughing because, because that's life and they're not, you know, they're not overwrought or overwritten and he's just, yeah, it's uh, so, I mean, for readers, I would suggest if you want something that's a little bit more intense, start with bear town. If you want something that's a little bit more kind of quirky, lighthearted, a little bit, a little bit of a dark sense of humor because he's Scandinavian, which suits me just fine. I like dark humor. Uh, go for the book, Anxious People or A Man Called Uva, which is spelled O-V-E. Both of those are, are a little bit more kind of easygoing books, mm-hmm. um, but all of his stuff is brilliant. Hmm. I haven't read Beartown yet, so I'm going to have to pick it up. On the best thing about Beartown is it has a sequel and then there's a third one in the series coming out. So if you like it, there's more. You just there's keep one more where that came from. That's fantastic. Yep. 
All right. Well, Bartos, how thank you again for coming on. This has been a fun conversation. What uh where can people go to find out more about you, things you've written? Um, the, the two easiest places are if you follow me on Twitter, it's just at Barnabas Piper. Um, that's, that's probably the easiest place to interact with me. I'm fairly active on Twitter and I, I tried to use it as an actual social media platform, not just a platforming me platform. So it's a good way to interact. And then I have a website, BarnabasPiper.com, where you can find my, uh, books, some articles, uh, it'll point you to the podcast, things like that. Um, but yeah, those are probably the two best places. Awesome. Thank you again, Barnabas. And this has been the Stop Anything Podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. Their thoughts dance in place to the bohemian groove.